This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Hello, I'm Josh Whittacombe. And I'm Rob Beckett. Welcome to Lockdown Parenting Hell. The show in which Rob and I discuss what it's like to be a parent during lockdown, which I would say can be a little tricky. So, in an effort to make some kind of sense of the current situation... And to make me feel better about my increasingly terrible parenting skills... Each episode we'll be chatting to a famous parent about how well they're coping. Or hopefully not. And we will be hearing from you, the listener, with your tales of lockdown parenting woe. Because, let's be honest, none of us know what we're doing. Hello, and you are listening to Lockdown Parenting Hell with... Ready? Can you say Rob Beckett? Rob Beckett. Rob Beckett. And... Josh Whittacombe. And Josh Whittacombe. Well done. Very good. That that, is three out of my four nephews. Logan's nine, but he was too cool to participate. Jude, seven. Oscar, five. Toby, three and a half. This was the fifth take and the closest fifth take. Who were you, Martin Scorsese? (laughs) Fifth take. Fifth take. Fair play. Just do it. Your auntie's come round and she wants to do it for a podcast she likes, okay? So just do it. That's that's what that's the message I'll give those kids. Are you LPH fans or not? <laughs> you bloody LPH heads. My older sister had all four of them before she was 25. That is my age now and I do not have any kids yet, but I love your podcast. Lots of people listen to our podcast. That's Maddie. Lots of people listen to our podcast that don't have kids. I know because they want to be, they want to feel better about their lives. And this is a perfect antidote because it is shit, but also magical because you have to say that. What's your percentage of shit to magical, Rob? Oh my God. It's like the early rounds of Britain's Got Talent. (laughs) There's the odd golden buzzer. There's very much three X's most days. You know what I mean? I feel like Simon Cowell. He just sat there rolling his eyes and all of a sudden he's absolutely buzzing for it when Paul Potts or Stubo turns up. But no, I love it. But I'm at the stage now where they are on my face the whole time. They're, they're obsessed with just jumping on me yeah. and just like, but they're not tiny little babies anymore. They're like three and five. So it hurts. It's like the like impact. Yeah. And it's yeah. their, bir- their birthdays are coming up as well. And Lou is going to book because <laughs> we can't have a party, right? We're gonna, we are just going to have a big party in the summer from when we're back to normal, whatever that is, right? <laughs> so I think we're going to book. A princess that comes to the front door and sings at the front door. Oh, my word. And I don't know if that's... That's got the, problem is, the most awkward situation written all over. I, I, 
I'm going to say, I would hate to stand there. I find it bad enough with carol singers. How long is she singing for? Um, we're getting her to do Bohemian Rhapsody five times and then Stairway <laughs> to Heaven. And you can't invite her in? How many princesses are you allowed? She could be in our bubble. <laughs> we'll be, it's Rapunzel, so she, we've known she's been self-isolating. <laughs> she's absolutely what, fine. She's going to have that awful situation where you come to the door and she's not going to be able to say, oh, that's that bloke made out of 10 cats. <laughs> Because she's going to be too busy singing Let It Go. I, f- I find when you do like the Edinburgh Fringe and you do open mic circuit and then the comedy circuit, you meet so many different people from all walks of life that all mm. do all different stuff, right? It's not just sort of like the sort of like mainstream comedy stuff we do. It's all kind of wacky stuff. And I find I do bump into people that I've done gigs with at some point, but I can't play to them. I was in London Dungeons once and one of the wenches, I was like, so she used to compare down at the Queen's Head. <laughs> I, I swear I know. And then she sort of gave me a look as well. So it'd be awkward as well if the princess turns up and just sort of looks at me. And I'm like, and they're like, Dad, why is Elsa looking at Daddy weird? And I was like, I think I know her. That's always a danger, isn't it, when you work in the arts? Because, like, you know, at any point, yeah. when you're, when you're like a creative, as it were, you work in the arts, at any point, you could be on a doorstep pretending to be Elsa. And I'm not ruling it out for me. Well, I'm not going to lie, Rob. I uh, had that experience when I did the Crystal Maze experience. And my uh, Maze Master, or whatever they're called, yeah. Was uh, someone that I'd uh, done, uh, been in my room before me in Edinburgh. Oh, really? I didn't know whether I was allowed to break the fourth wall and go... Um, <laughs> you right, Steve? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> or, or was I too busy going, I'll do a skill, please? I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Well, t- no, actually, we're going to put the crystal back so we get him for the <laughs> final round. Yeah, I've been right, actually, mate. Yeah, you're doing Edinburgh next year. Yeah, quality. You're like, oh! So is it silver or gold tickets I need? Now, this morning, Rob, yeah. I thought it'd be nice to do a couple of Ask Robs, because you are, you know. People are calling you now Britain's father. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Britain's father. I'll, I'll take Britain's father. You're the wisest father in Britain. This comes from Sarah W. My one-year-old has taken a dislike to nappy changes. Once on the mat, he rolls over and crawls away, sometimes straight away, and sometimes just as soon as the nappy is off. That's when he makes his break for freedom, crawling away as fast as he can. Yeah. The only thing that works at the moment is opening his clothes drawer for him, to stand to hold on to, emptying it one T-shirt at a time while we change him. Mm. That's unsustainable, Rob. What tips do you have? Okay, so I like to employ a technique called banter restraint. Banter restraint? (laughs) Yeah. I wish you'd do that on panel shows. (laughs) I can't help it. I get carried away. No, so basically, right, I do a thing where I turn it into a game. My instincts always turn it, make it fun, and then they'll want to do it. So... When you're trying to change them, I would sometimes use my feet like hands. So if I'm sat and I've got their like legs like on me, I'd sometimes put my feet on their like arms and stuff like that to sort of like tap their arms, which I'm, I'm sort of holding their back and arms down. So sort of like I'm holding them down. I, but I'm making I've it never a game. been less able to picture something in my life. Just start okay. again. Right, so the, ba- right, the baby's laying down, right, in front of you. Yeah, on their back, laying down, nappy on, right? And their legs are like... You're, you're sitting there with your legs um, alongside the baby. So your feet are by its head, right? And the right, baby's yeah, yeah. in between your legs, okay? Right, yep, yeah, got it. Like, like you've given birth, that kind of yeah, thing, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, then get the, and then what I do is, as I'm doing it, I, hold, I get my feet, my toes, and I'm sort of like patting on their arms, right? Yeah. And I'm basically, you're basically pinning them down. It's, you're restraining them with your yeah. feet, okay? Um, and you hold their arms down like that, but you can try and turn it into a game, right? And even if they don't really like the game and they're struggling a bit, you've got them down long enough to change the nappy. Yes, yes. So it's sort of like, you know, I wouldn't, I'm not saying restrainer can hold it like, but I'm saying it's like just placing them, right, and making it fun while you're doing it. You're saying you do if you hold them down with your feet, it doesn't count. 
Yes. Because I imagine, oh, he restrained me. What with his feet? You know, what are you talking about? <laughs> he restrained you with his feet. What was that to stand up? <laughs> but yeah, like I, so I used to do that, and like you put my feet on their arms and like hold like on their shoulders and stuff. Like, yeah. But I'd be tapping them and tickling them with it. And yeah. so it's like a fun game, and yeah. but you are actually hold that you're keeping in position whilst you're changing the nappy. Yes, very shrewd, very shrewd. Or put the telly on. <laughs> <laughs> That's always my second go-to. Put the telly on to make sure they can see it, and then always stay still. Okay, Bobby Neary asks Rob Beckett. My question is. How do you replace stroke get rid of your kids' toys? Christmas is coming up and my daughter, who is four in February, has lots of toys she no longer plays with. But somehow, she always knows when they aren't there. We once got rid of a tatty play kitchen she hadn't touched for months and months. She was so upset she ended asking Santa for a new one. My question is, what is the best way to get rid of the toys they've lost interest in, but will know if they've gone? Um, I, well, I, we, we sometimes do is like we do charity shop runs and then what we'll do is we'll go, right, okay, we've got too many toys and there's some children that haven't got many toys. So why don't we share our toys? So why don't you go and pick some toys that you would like to give to other children to play that you don't play with anymore? And I do find sometimes they're quite like, they find that quite fun because they're yeah. sort of in control of it. But I have done that before. You just chuck one out. We had this doll that I, that I had, um, like broken so it's a doll with like one eye and the other eye was like looking the other way and yeah. i basically chucked it out and I, I chucked it in the garage and like it was just on the side to get rid of and i remember i opened up the garage and the five-year-old was just stood there and she went it's my baba and it was it was nice and it had been like in the rain it was like and it was like decomposed it was like rotting <laughs> and she went what's happened to my baba so what i would say is whatever technique you use once you get it out of their room just yeah, get rid of a charity get shop rid. or bin if it's broke, but get rid as soon as possible. But are we try to turn it into a game of pick stuff and then just when they're not looking, just chuck a few bits in. Yeah. And just distract yeah. distraction's a good technique, I think. But um are we trying to involve them into doing it? I think that's a good way. Well, that's kind of to go back to uh, the last episode's uh, dummy fairy uh, situations, you make it very clear that the dummy fairy is giving them to smaller girls. Yes, yeah. that's good, yes. Although we have got in the situation with my daughter. Where she was getting, she was getting rid of some clothes, mm. and she was like, "I'd like to give them to not like her best friend, but a, a boy from her class at nursery has just had a baby." Not, not just had a baby. That Bloody hell! <laughs> East London never changes, does it? <laughs> you can gentrify what you want, mate, but kids will still bang out kids. <laughs> so he's just had a little sister. She doesn't know that. I wouldn't say she's even in the top five people she mentions. But suddenly she was like, we'll call him Steve. She was like, um, oh, I'd like to give this to Steve's little sister, these dresses, that for a two-year-old. Yeah. And you're like, I don't want to have to go up to Steve's parents and go, here's a <laughs> load of dresses for your, two, for your baby that you, just go, that you don't want and you're going to be lumbered with as much as we are. I don't even know his parents. What have you said? I just kind of said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But kind of moved it on. Yeah, or you could just be like, say like, oh, Steve's sister's got loads of dresses. However, should we give these to some other girls and then take it charity? I actually said, are you thick? I said, are you <laughs> thick? These aren't for a baby. What? I mean, come on. That's yeah. How big do you think babies are, you fucking idiot? <laughs> you, 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 and you think you're a big girl? Why don't you, have a, why don't you take one of your dummies and fuck off with your Elsa? <laughs> anyway, if Sorry. you want to get in touch, <laughs> this is how. 
email us hello at lockdownparenting.co.uk or tweet us at lockdownparents or Instagram lockdown underscore parenting. And you can also send us stuff P.O. Box 76748 London E99DW. Now it's time for our guest, David Badil, uh, comedian, writer, actor, all sorts, four number one singles, uh, and lovely bloke. Very welcoming, I'd say, in the comedy world. Went to like yeah. two young really bucks nice like me and you, Josh. He's always been really nice to me, I find. And me. Shared a dressing room with him in Edinburgh one year and um, genuinely uh, was a lovely two weeks. Oh, it's a lifelong dream for you, isn't it? It was, yeah. Naked Tuesdays was always, it was a great day. It was a great day. <laughs> Here's David Badil. David Badil, hello, how are you? I'm all right, Josh Whittacombe. I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah, Bob yeah. Cricket is here as well. Yeah, I'm here. Um, and we're... I'm just with your job a little bit, didn't I? Well, I felt yeah. like I was hosting there for a it's minute. It's difficult when you host this as a pair and the first person introduces yeah. themselves, they go hello to the person, and then you sort yeah. of try and make for a point. I normally just go, ha ha, yeah, you're right, David. As if, like, yeah. like whatever you said. <laughs> So yeah. that it reminds the listeners that I'm there, but at the pro you are, you you introduce me yourself. So I thought it was awkward. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> a little a little sense that Josh was while you weren't here. Well, it's not news to the podcast that Josh does not like a big intro. He announces a guest as if like he just bumped into him in a coffee shop. Oh, David! Right. Oh, David! Nice to see you. <laughs> Well, you getting in, Rob, it's like a player trying to get an early touch yeah, on the ball yeah, just yeah. to kind of settle their nerves. Can I, can I ask a technical question? Is it yeah. always Josh who starts? Do you always no. pick off? No, we sort no. of mix no. it up. We, we're not, there's no egos involved there, really. We've been, there's been no clash of egos. I mean, you you worked in a double act for a number of years. Would you find there was arguments over who did what? Yeah. Really? In the first one, I mean, I've been in two. <laughs> yeah. No. In, Newman and Badil, originally called Badil and Newman, so that lays it sure. out for you. Uh, there were a lot of arguments. In fact, Frank Skinner tells the story, Frank Skinner, my second double act partner, of the first time we saw me and Rob together, we'd just got the copy for our first video on VHS, right? <laughs> Which was called Badil and Newman at, live at Shaftesbury Theatre, right? And he, he was with me and Rob, and Rob was crossing out Badil and Newman and rewriting it, Newman and Badil, without the <laughs> copy for the video. So he knew then that that, that that relationship didn't have long. Wow. And he got in, he got in there, to, yeah. be, to be honest. Frank saw his opening and he got in there. Uh, it was much, much better generally with him, but it's a, it's a complicated relationship. You're not actually a, a double act, though, are you? You just work together no. on this. Yeah, no, we don't yeah. sort of do double act stuff, but we'll see how it goes. You never know, Josh. We could, you know. Yeah, Whittaker and Beckett. I mean, alphabetically, I'm in serious trouble. Beckett, Beckett and Whittaker unplanned, something like that. That's not been done before, is it? <laughs> well, you're, you're very welcome to it, as long as I still get the royalties. Start <laughs> with that idea, which uh, uh, David Lidderman, David Lidderman, who used to be in television, probably still is, he once described uh, unplanned as a format as the bottled water of television. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very good way of putting it, isn't it? Because really, yeah, we just sit on a sofa and say shit. Yeah. Well, when you say you had that idea, I think every comedian's had that idea, but you were the ones that managed to get away with it somehow. I know, <laughs> I know. It doesn't make any sense. But uh, fucking great laugh for six years, it was. And I think when it originally started, it was on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays. <laughs> I mean, I mean Like Emmerdale. Yeah, like Emmerdale, yeah. But less funny. <laughs> uh, so, dude. David... Let's, uh, for our listeners that aren't aware of your uh, family setup, which I, uh, you know, 
our less creepy listeners, what what is your uh, family? Uh, me, Mawena Banks, who is uh, also a performer and a writer. She is the voice of Mummy Pig. She doesn't really like me saying that because I think you know she's done lots of other stuff in her yeah. career. Yeah, you know that thing. You've all you'll have it as well. Like best known for. Right? Yes. Yeah. Quite yeah. often you think like, well, yeah, like me, three lions, right? You're like, yeah, but what about all the other stuff, right? You're slightly pissed off, even though it was your really successful thing, right? Yeah. With her, it's Mummy Pig. Uh, and then we have two children. Uh, we have Dolly, who is now 19, and Ezra, who is uh, now 16, just turned 16. Oh, oh okay. wow. And have you been locked down as a four, or is, is Dolly away? Or No, she's, she's still. She's here. Um, she, I mean, it's a long story, but she's at a musical theatre school. Mm. He was going to go to musical theatre school in Manchester, and with a certain amount of foresight, I said, although no foreskin, uh, I, <laughs> <laughs> I said to her, I think it's going to be a bit, probably not that great going a long way away mm. to go to college, because mm. if I read this right, lots of cities are going to completely shut down, and if that happens in London, it'll be slightly less shit for you, I think than if you're on your own in Manchester in a new place, blah, blah, blah. So she stayed in London and she goes to college. She goes to a place called London Studio Centre to do musical theatre. She's a brilliant singer. You you ended um, the show, uh, the fame show in Edinburgh uh, with footage of her uh, singing uh, Your Song by Elton John. What's that like? I found that incredibly moving and I didn't know her. But that's your daughter. You could say... Josh and me, if anyone doesn't know, which is everyone apart from me and Josh, <laughs> we shared a, uh, a dressing room in Edinburgh in 2013. And I was doing Fame Not the Musical, which was a show that I did, a storytelling show about uh, essentially most of the shit and ridiculous stuff that's happened to me as a result of being, you know, a bit more visible than other people. And I ended with a nice thing, uh, which was uh, this video I've got of Dolly when she was 10 singing your song in uh, a sort of little. Talent show, not X Factor, not not talent. But uh, she used to go to a little drama group and they put on a talent show and she sung your song. And it was moving anyway, just I've never really told this story, in that most of the other kids there were a little bit older than her and she went on last in this little talent show and and they were all very professional, right? And I could tell when Dolly went on, she's 10, she had pigtails, she was really looking young. You were just thinking, oh, oh, she'll be sweet. And then she fucking knocked it out of the park. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm so proud. And and you probably didn't see that show, Rob, but what's funny about it is I talk about how I'm filming it and I'm crying so much that the filming is totally shit. And then when you see it, it's the most waving rubbish filming. But then, but then, yeah, she. But her voice is brilliant. Actually, I put it on my Desert Island disc as well. Um, I put Dolly's version of your <laughs> disc, which, by the way, when Arsene Wenger on Desert Island disc the other day, he chose Elton John's "Your Song" along with a lot of very Route One stuff. I don't know if you listened to it. No, no. I haven't listened to it. I can't, I'm waiting for Arsene to start winning again. Right, I can't right. hear people talking about Burkamp and Omri at the moment. We've not had a shot on goal for about four weeks. I'll tell you what he didn't win at is choosing obscure songs for Desert Island Disc because literally it's my way. It's uh, it's generally oh, the, the, fir- the first hour on Magic in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever Magic on put on at eight o'clock. Yeah, and it's your song, well, John. And I said at the time, I said this would be much better if it be your version, Dolly, who's nineteen now, obviously, so she can appreciate the irony of all that. Wouldn't it have been brilliant if Arsene Wenger had said, you know, the, the one with this version by David Bedeal Thorstein? <laughs> Elton, he does Ideal Danding now. He does he sings in a stupid way now, Elton. So I'm 
my daughter's book. But anyway, yeah, I was very, very, very moved by Dolly's version of your song. I'm glad you were moved by it too. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mine's just started uh, primary school, and it's when you really do notice them because they're away five days a week, and they start their own friendships that you can't have a say in or be involved in and stuff like that. And I, that, How have you found it as they've got older, like that sort of lo- loss of control as it is, really? Well, I think we need to talk about all this is my son. And actually, I was going to mention a story which you reminded me about, which is uh, when my kids were at primary school, uh, they put on a version of uh, Bugsy Malone, I think, mm. uh, on uh, as the Christmas show. And there's a Tallulah, is it? Does a very sad song in that. Uh, and it was a little girl mopping up, I believe. And she did a solo. It was really beautiful, actually. You know, when that happens professionally or particularly maybe at a school, there's a moment of silence just before everyone applauds and has been crying, whatever. And there's that moment of silence. So, and my son, who was about four, wasn't quite at that school yet, I don't think, or maybe he just started, was sitting on my lap, I think. And he went, is that a person? <laughs> and it was a very weird heckle. It was a very weird heckle. It was the moment. And my son, right, in terms of like what you've just said about development is, like, I've tweeted the other day, and it got a lot of likes and retweets and clearly was relatable, that my daughter uh, is totally recognisable from the person that she was as a child. Uh, how old are your children? Both uh, of you? Five and three. And, and mine's three. Okay, so there's so bad news. Children that you really, really love and they're really sweet, and whatever trouble they are, you really love them and they're incredibly fantastic. They will not exist at some point. I mean, they will. But I remember Jonathan Roth saying to me of his son, Oh, that little boy, do you remember Harvey when he was a little boy, really sweet? He just he doesn't exist anymore. I remember thinking, how awful. Fucking hell, it's true, right? <laughs> oh, God. And I tweeted that my daughter, it's not quite true of my daughter. My daughter, is there's a continuum, right? It's sort of recognisable, the incredibly sweet little girl that she was to the young woman she is now. My son is like a different fucking species. <laughs> I mean, really, it's incredible. It's like gone. It's like killed him, essentially. Killed. And as he grew old, I should have known it, I guess, from like that moment. I remember when he was about six, right? He'd been walking behind me on the way to school and he, he poked something. And I just thought it was like nothing, like his finger or whatever, into my trousers. And then I was at a meeting later on, and I thought, I can't work, I can't sit properly. And I pushed it into my pants, and there was a sushi fish, like a soy sauce sushi <laughs> in my pants. And he found it on the ground and just put it down my pants, right? Okay. Then cut to, 
about two years ago in Cornwall. We were parking the car in a very crowded car park on the beach. A lot of people there. And our car stereo had broken down, right? And so we were using a portable stereo for music in the car at that point, right? So we get out of the car, and uh, it's still on. I didn't realise I'm just holding it with all the other shit and all the kids getting out of the car. I've got towels and shit. I didn't realise it was still on. And Ezra's behind, and it, by now, of course, he's got a phone, and he, and he knows how to work the phone and sync it up, and he's a c- right? So I get out, and that starts playing... It really loudly, this incredibly Jewish music, right? <laughs> Absolutely Jewish music. And I could see all the people look around and clearly think, oh, look, there's, there's David Cathedral. You must not have music like that with him all the time, I imagine. He's doing that dance, right? Because Ezra had just fucking done that through Spotify. And I was so embarrassed, but at some level, so proud. Yes. I thought that, that was a brilliant joke. But he it's like that. He trolls me all the time now. Did it change overnight? It feels like it did. I mean, it can't have done. But it, it feels like it did. I mean, he is he's very, very funny, my son. He's genuinely very funny. And there are some occasions when he was really young where I thought, wait a minute, that's, that's a callback. <laughs> I did something for this podcast, which was to uh, look at all the things I've tweeted about my son, and, and, and there's a fuck of a lot of them, and a lot of them are awful. Like, for example, him asking me the other day whether there's an, whether there's an audio book of Mein Camp. <laughs> yeah, the other day. That's a, that's a tough VO gig, isn't it? <laughs> You've got the voice for it. What do you mean? I got, I've got into trouble for some of the things. Like, for example, we were watching Eurovision. He said, Ukraine is just a B-Tech Russia. I got into trouble for that, for putting that on Twitter. <laughs> that, that could easily be one of your lines, Rob. Yeah, got, <laughs> people telling me BTEC's a very important, very good qualification. Yeah. <laughs> and on Jonathan Ross's show, on his talk show, I told a joke of Ezra's, which was uh, we were sitting down and that advert came on for Red Bull, saying Red Bull gives you wings, and Ezra said, and diabetes. And I got <laughs> so much stick for that on Twitter. And then I realised what people were upset about. And this was when he was like nine, right? People were upset, correctly, I'm sure, about the fact that diabetes is like type 2 diabetes is the one where you drink and eat a lot of bad things, you get type 2 diabetes, not type 1 diabetes. Well, it's not your fault, essentially. It's not your fault. Yeah, Yeah, the one that Ed Gamble has. Yeah. It's not his fault. (laughs) Condition, it doesn't come from diet and lifestyle, right? Yeah. Right. So, and I said on, on, I actually put it in my show. I said, so basically, what these people, like thousands of them, were complaining about was that my nine year old son hadn't said Red Bull gives you wings and type two diabetes. <laughs> it kills the joke. It kills yeah. the joke. It kills the joke. And he's nine for <laughs> But he's, I mean, he has done a lot of stuff. But a, an example of the other, the flip side of it is how difficult he is. Uh, so, because he's not difficult, but he's just, he loves being negative, and that's what happens to teenage boys. Mm. They just want to sh- shit on your dreams, <laughs> just for <laughs> the sake of it, right? So, for example, his uh, school, about a, a year and a half ago, had a, a trip to Auschwitz. They had a trip to Auschwitz. Uh, the whole year we're going to go, and I thought, obviously, with our heritage, that would be a good thing for him to do. And, you know, bleak and awful, but also very important or whatever. So I say to him one breakfast, you know, Ezra, I think you should go on this trip. That'd be good. And he's like, nah. And I'm like, 
you know, really, look at me, take it seriously. I really think a lot of our relatives died. There might be a good thing for you to do. And he goes, none of my friends are going. I go, okay, I really think it's important for you to go. And he says, ah, no, I really, I can't be bothered. <laughs> and I found myself saying the actual word Ezra, I don't have to force you to go to Auschwitz. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, it's, he lives for memes. I, for irony, <laughs> an incredibly high level of irony, being, like, scornful about me uh, and that video games and FIFA and stuff like that. Does he respect your career? No. I mean, <laughs> secretly, but I, I think no. Uh, I certainly, <laughs> he loves saying, today, I know a lot of people are working from home, but if you've got a family, it's often... A good idea, think like, oh, I'm going to go and write somewhere else. Yeah. Right. So I'm thinking about doing that. So I went and saw a flat today, and I'm afraid to have to tell you, my friends, that I'm, I mean, I had a mask on, but nonetheless, I'm there with the very young estate agent. And he says, Oh, so you're going to come and live here? I said, No, I'm going to use it just for writing. He went, Oh, what? Are you a writer? And I went, Well, yeah, I'm a writer and comedian. He went, Oh, right. All right. And I told this to Ezra, and he just said, Yeah, what you wanted was a 50 year old bloke who likes football. And I thought, Right. Yeah. So that, I know. <laughs> <laughs> he could have been nicer, right? He could have said that's his fault for being ignorant or whatever. Not, yeah, well, young people don't know who you are, Dad. <laughs> but but young people do know who you are because yes. you've sold 1.5 million children's, children's books. books. Yeah, here's one. Oh, actually, not, we're not on the telly, on the, on the internet. But so your new children's book, Future Friend. Yes. Which, so how many, how, many, how many have you written? Is that five? He's, he's written 1.5 million. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's sold one each. It's a good way to get into the million books sold. Not very well. I've written seven uh, children's books. Uh, and one actually won and a novella, so seven and a half children's books. And, and why did you go? Was it partly to impress your children or entertain your children? Or Well, it came from Ezra, uh, the idea for the first one. I mean, actually, I was having a row, not a row, but a thing today. I think The Guardian are about to do a... <laughs> you I talk think... about Ezra like Tyler Durden in Fight, in fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> It's like it's just your split personality living with you. I don't know if he really exists. Uh, yeah, no, uh, I was having a, a constant row on Twitter and sometimes elsewhere. Like I think the Guardian are doing a piece about how uh, comedians and celebrities should not write children's books, right? Because it right. causes, uh, it means that, um, you know, it's probably true at some level, not that they shouldn't, but that it does create problems for those people who want to write children's books who haven't got like a pre-established name or brand yeah. or whatever. Anyway, I my point being that I didn't particularly think, oh, I want a bit of that David Williams action. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my son gave me an idea is what happened. When he was eight, he said to me, Dad, why doesn't Harry Potter run away from the Dursleys, uh, obviously the horrible muggle family that he has to live with when mm. he's not at Hogwarts, why doesn't he run away from them and try and find some better parents? And I could have said to him the literary answer to that, which is, well, I think it's because J.K. Rowling wants to suggest that Hogwarts is very magical and so he, she creates a very uh, negative, humdrum life for him when he's not at Hogwarts. Well, I didn't say that. I said, <laughs> I, I said it's too long. Uh, I said, that's given me an idea. And the idea was a world in which children can choose their own parents. Uh, and that led to my first children's book, which is called The Parent Agency, about yeah. a kid called Barry who is annoyed with his parents all the time wishes for better parents, goes through his bedroom wall into a world run by kids in which parents basically have to audition to get children. Oh, that's a great idea. Uh, and he tries out 
tries out five different types of parents. And yeah, so I wrote that and what you just said, Josh, about it being a good idea, the reason I said that was not just being self-aggrandizing, but the reason that I wrote it is that when I had that idea, because of what Ezra said, I thought, that sounds like a really good idea for a children's book. So much so, I thought someone else must have done it, but they haven't. And you know when you have a good idea, that's often how it feels. Like, yeah, it yeah. feels so classic, someone else must have done it. Um, and it did do really well. And at that point, I thought, now I do want a bit of that Wallooms action. <laughs> <laughs> Refresh the summer vibes with Tic Tac and you could win a Lollapalooza VIP experience in Chicago. Visit TicTacSummer.com for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Open to legal residents of 50 U.S. states and D.C. 18 plus. Ends June 30th, 2024. Void in PR and where prohibited. See TicTacSummer.com for rules and free entry without UPC. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Do you have to do, like, events with kids and stuff where you read yeah. to kids in schools? And, and what's that like? It's actually really, I don't, obviously I haven't done it for a while, but it's really all right. Um, you know, one of the things about comedians writing children's books, I don't know if you have any, any ideas for it, but I have a belief, quite a strong belief, that children uh, or that, that comedians are what all adults are, but they've got license to be it more, i.e. children. Like, I don't yeah. believe that anyone is actually 54, except possibly Michael Gove. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no one in their heart feels yeah. that age everyone feels about 12 for yeah. whatever yeah and and so when i do stuff with kids i sort of tell them that actually uh i sort of tell them and they're quite surprised I'm like, here's a secret about being adults is that all these people these te these teachers they actually feel the same age as you but they have to wing it they have to pretend yeah. that yeah. they're grown well, like, up as a comedian life is basically just one big summer holiday where you yeah. float about a bit without any ever having to do anything that serious like because you don't know sort of like when in, if you go do well in business you have a team of people and you've got to do sort their of holiday dates out and do redundancies and all that yeah. Yeah. but ultimately you just float around a bit and just turn up and be yourself and go home it's just like go around your mates for tea but it's on telly the most famous sketch of my writing experience was me and Rob Newman playing two old history professors as if they were five-year-olds, right? Speaking yeah. to each other. But simply, like, we watch The American Office as a family now. Like, one of the things about being in a family that you'll also learn is that when you're when the kids are young, they will basically just watch anything with yeah. you. And actually, I really got into watching things like X Factor at that time because mm. I never watched before because the kids liked it and it was really nice watching stuff together as a family. Now, it's really hard to find anything that they will be prepared to watch yeah. with us, but we are watching The American Office, which I've never watched before, right? And The American Office is an object lesson in, that, in what Rob's just said, which is basically, here's a very grown-up situation, an office, everyone just behaves like children. 
Especially yeah. <laughs> Michael Scott, the sort of David Brent character, is like a five-year-old, really, yeah. in the body of a 50-year-old man. And a lot of comedy is that, really. It's throwing off the charade of adulthood. Yeah. And that's what it is. Yeah. It's yeah. a charade. And, and saying not- what you want to say, but normally because of your office or your work and, and structures in the power of the company, you can't. You can't. But because you're, you've got that freedom on stage to go, I'm just a bloke talking. Yes. I haven't got anything that's going to come back at me. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And my books are quite like that. I think that's part of the reason they've been a success. Is I, I never, when I started writing children's books, I never thought now I have to talk down to kids comically. I'm still going to try and yeah. make this as funny as possible. I just won't talk about sex and I won't swear. Uh, although there is normally a bit of swearing in my book. <laughs> I won't swear properly. But the comedy, I will try and make, you know, basically as real and as funny as anything else I might do. And that's because I think kids are, like, particularly now, like, you know, it, it's a modern thing. When I was young, we didn't have proper comedy as children, right? There was nothing. There was the magic roundabout. wasn't funny. <laughs> now, my son and my daughter have grown up watching The Simpsons. have grown up watching the best comedy show of all yeah. time. Yeah. And as a result, by the time they were six, they were much more sophisticated comically. They knew what comedy was. They knew what irony was. They knew a good joke from a shit joke. And that's been a great thing as a parenting experience. But also, I feel I've channeled that into the kids' books by refusing to make them, like, condescendingly yeah. for children. Yeah. Uh, when you when the kids were a lot younger, was you working a lot at that stage? Like, because you still work a lot now, but like, like especially, I think that I don't know when they were born, but like around, especially like with the the uh, three lines in '96 and stuff, it must have been non-stop work. And you was doing like arena tours and yeah. t- like like you was on telly Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and stuff. Was was that happening when they were little, and was that hard to manage? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, actually, I stopped doing live stuff when they were born. Um, I mean, not completely, but touring. Mm. Uh, so I've been touring throughout the 90s and I, I tour every year virtually up, up until about 97, either with Rob Newman or whatever it might be, Edinburgh or blah, blah, blah. And then I was tired anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> I was knackered. I also wanted to write other things and do other things. But then I had kids and I I just stopped doing that. But I'm still on the telly. Like Unplanned is uh, so that's 2000 to 2006 or something. Plus, there was also a fantasy football series then. Yeah. Like Euro 2004 fantasy so, football series. Sometimes telly, though, is more time demanding than live because live, you're around all morning and most of the day, and then you can yeah. drop them off at school and then you like jump in a car at three, four in the afternoon, and then you're back late that night normally with yeah. comedy. But how was it with the telly and stuff like that? I think it wasn't always great, actually. I mean, like, I remember doing that Euro 2004 series, that fantasy football Euro 2004 series. Uh, I actually had to go and live because we filmed it at Wandsworth and it was, that was on every night virtually or every time there was a big game uh, and it was live. So I had to go and live in a hotel in Wandsworth and my son was born. Well, he wasn't born until October, November 2004, but my, you know, she had a, when I had a young child, Dolly, and was about to give birth to another one. And I think now, what the fuck was I thinking of? Not, yeah. not yeah. being there all the time. Um, and... You know, she was very good about it, but I, uh, I think that I don't know how you find it, but I think that it's quite hard when you're basically doing something that's very driven, like comedy, and you think like I, I want to do all the things I want to do, and it's quite hard to say no, especially when it's telly or whatever. It's quite hard to say, oh, I, I, I'm not going to do this because I have to spend more time with my children. I mean, you're, yeah. you're both in that. No, I totally agree. Now. 
you know, and it's probably quite yeah. difficult to, to turn stuff down. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a hundred percent true because you, you you sort of it's that kind of thing where you think right, well, you know, stuff's all going well, but you need to make sure that money's coming in and and, yeah. and like if you say no to a series, you might not get offered it the next time it's offered, and then yeah. stuff slowly starts to drift away, and it's people are only sort of like hot as it were for a certain amount of time. And for you, in that point, you must have thought, no, I've got to do this because I need to, you know, be on telly, get the money coming because you didn't know, you can't guarantee that you're going to go on to write seven books and sell a one point five million books yeah. and all the other stuff like and you know us looking at you, you go well, it's David Bedil it'll be fine forever but whoever it is in your own mind you do just think well what if it stops tomorrow yeah and that totally. is a terrible balance to try and make because you think all right well I'll be at home with the kids but then that's no good if in 10 years time we've got to sell the house because the money that I'm earning now is not the yeah. money I'll earn then no, it's just like, and that's like for most people with like trying to get promotions and pushing for that promotion in a proper job as it were yeah it's that, it's that balance and stuff but uh, how do you feel when you look back now do you think you sort of did the best you could in that situation? Oh, they, you see, before this started, Rob said, I won't be asking you any difficult questions. <laughs> <laughs> and that is literally one of the most difficult questions I've ever been asked. Yeah. <laughs> Did I get it right with like my career and parenting? What a big question. Um, well, they seem all right. I mean, <laughs> they don't seem too fucked up, either of them. They seem perfectly happy. But to be to be very cliched indeed, but it comes back to what I was saying earlier about Ezra and, and what you said about did that happen overnight, is it goes by very quickly, or it feels like it has when they are older. Uh, and so that thing of like, oh, did I spend as much time for my own sake, from really, selfishly, like enjoying them being young kids, maybe like some of the time I didn't. I mean, no, it wasn't, I mean, to be honest with you, much fucking better than my dad. You know, my dad... <laughs> who wasn't on telly in any way, but went out to work every day, came back really late, didn't have much interest in us, basically. Uh, when he did, he was normally a bit irritable, a bit angry that we were around. Uh, and, you know, apart from playing football with us on a Sunday or whatever, you know, he, I think he only liked us when we got older. You know, and I think Ooh. a lot of older dads, from like when my generation of dads were a bit like that, you know, a bloke yeah. brought up in the 40s and 50s like my dad, the idea that part of the stuff of life, the really important stuff of life, was to spend time with your kids when they were young. Fuck that! I think. Yeah. <laughs> I feel that you know. I, I wish I'd squeeze as much juice out of that as possible. Yeah. I didn't. With Ezra, do you think he could end up doing what you do? Do you think he could be a comedian or a writer? And how would you feel about that? I would be fine with it because I know he's really funny. I don't think he wants to do that. I think he would feel weirdly self-conscious about that, about the expectation uh, and the sort mm. of, like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, they, you'd expect him to do that because Mulwenna, of course, is in comedy as well. So yeah. Yeah. he doesn't really do this anymore, but for a while, Ezra would, out of nothing, just stand up when we were just sitting around watching telly and start pretending to be a shit stand-up. <laughs> <laughs> You sure you didn't have last leg on? He <laughs> <laughs> would hold the stick and he would have a catchphrase, not really, which was "Thanks for coming out." <laughs> Thanks. He would actually he would sing the you know, "Duck Quacks Don't Echo," the uh, Max Show, <laughs> Sky One. Do you know that? Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember. Yeah. So he would sing the theme tune of that. Run on. Say thanks for coming out a lot, and then try and busk a set. And he would do that <laughs> for two years. He would do that regularly. He stopped. Wow. He stopped doing that now, and I slightly miss it. 
<laughs> oh, well, I think it's inevitable where his career's heading, David. How across what you've done is he? How did, has he read all the books? Has he no? Has he gone back and watched the fantasy football videos? Like, or would that be his idea of a hell? I think again, he would find it a bit weird, and he I absolutely has not read most of the books. No, <laughs> but then again, I think he's only read two books in his life. Well, the audio book of Mein Kampf. <laughs> that counts. In the original German. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and what about um, your your daughter, Dolly? Does she does she ask for any advice or tips on performing? Obviously, because she wants to be a performer and she's studying it. And it'll be very different to what you know to you. But you have had what annoying for her, you have had a number one single, which yeah, that <laughs> is annoying. Yeah. She's more of a dancer than she yes. is a, well, she is a great singer, but her what she's studying. Is musical theatre with a sort of with a uh, emphasis on dance, and uh, it would be an extraordinary thing if I were to give Dolly any help with singing, and even more extraordinary if I was any help with fucking dancing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I used to play music. I play the piano, and, and she would sing. And actually, can either of you sing? No, no I'm useless. Terrible. Really, I sort of yeah. terrible. I'm afraid I imagine that Rob can sing because I sort of think of Rob as an old style, you know, proper. Oh, don't get me wrong, I will sing, <laughs> but can I? Is a different question. I reckon I could bang out my way good enough to close a show somewhere. <laughs> Pontins, cruise ship, Palladium, yeah. wherever they'll let me, yeah. I'll give it a go and try my best. But I, I, I can't sing, even though I've had uh, uh, four number ones. Well, four of the same song. Uh... <laughs> It's like your book writing. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> we managed to have four number ones by insisting on the same song going to number one again and again. But, you know, it's this is a true story. Uh, Q magazine, when it first came out, the music magazine, mm. instead of Three Lions, it seemed like a nice thing at first. I remember reading it, thinking, oh, this seems quite nice. It said of Three Lions, you know, you sometimes get caught by that, like you're reading something about yourself and you think, oh, yeah, and it gets you, you know, that's going to be, oh, fuck, you know. So it was like that, because it said, in the future... People will think of Three Lions in a very nice way. In fact, they'll think of it as better than it was. In the future, it said, folk memory would have erased the memory of David Baddiel's singing just as it has erased the memory of corpse robbers during the bits. <laughs> an incredible insult, isn't it? It's an unbelievable scale of insult. God, that's horrific. horrific. I, I think when I was a kid, I was in bands when I was a kid, and I would have loved to have been able to sing, and I'd come to, you know conclusion that i really can't and i think that dolly having a really good voice i've always found that kind of slightly healing i don't know if that's a thing with your children is mm. there are things that you can't do yeah in your life but you'd love to be able to do and your children can do them i wonder if that's part of the joy of it like if one of yeah. your sons is an incredible footballer right i mean you'd be proud anyway but if it was something that you secretly like i very much did would, would want to have been and then your son does it like that, that must be challenging, amazing. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I enjoy having daughters because I was, one of the things I was paranoid of before having kids was I was really worried that I was going to have a boy and I gave him all the negative parts of me and none of the good. And right. it's just poor little wreck of this loud, unfunny, right. some would say that is what the case is with me. <laughs> but like, I was very concerned about that. But for some reason, because it's a, 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 having girls, it does put that sort of, separation in it between them a little bit where you can't, it's not a direct mirror image of yourself right. coming back so yeah. I was in a way slightly relieved about having girls because it does put a little bit of separation of yeah. them being you know yeah. giving them your sort of negative traits yeah no that's true and actually 
it's kind of cliched of me to go on about, oh, my son's like this and my daughter's like that. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. My son is an absolute cliche of a teenage boy at some level. He's really funny and really great, but he's also, you know, fucking negative and ironic and sarcastic and all that kind of stuff. And she's a kind of like really lovely flower of a girl. <laughs> <laughs> cliched, but it is the case. Uh, but what I was saying was that, Definitely when I've played piano or guitar and Dolly has sung, and I've done it like in front of people a couple of times and you know on stage at little events and whatever, I get a sort of level of pride that is fucking ridiculous. Yeah, I bet. It's ridiculous, the level of pride. I wouldn't have known that you could be so proud. I really identify, actually, with those parents on uh, Britain's Got Talent. You know, occasionally there's an 11-year-old Britain's Got Talent and they cut to the parents with Ant and Deck. Yeah. And and you, you you might think if you haven't got kids, oh look at them, you know, overwhelmed in a silly way. But I totally relate to it. Whenever I've seen my daughter on stage, it's amazing. Of, of the people we've spoken to, your emotions you you've always been someone who kind of wears your emotions on your sleeve, like, and you're very a very open person. Yeah, and it's amazing to speak to someone who's kind of so open about their relationships with their the different relationships with their two children. You you talk like someone that is just so privileged to have spent time with them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And just how much you love them that comes across. Oh, well, that's good. It's taken me quite a long time because I am very open and I'm a bit on transmit. And Mawena is unbelievably empathetic and everything she, like she's a very private person, very different from me. And, that's, and everything she says, she worries about how other people might take it and what they might think, and she's, you know, what, how the effect it might have on them. And it's taken me years to understand that what <laughs> I say has an effect on years to get that. And children have helped with that. So, again, this is typical of my over-honesty, but I used to be patron of something called Calm, which is a hmm. very, very good uh, charity. Uh, it mainly runs a website and a, a, a line, a call centre, uh, that's not the right word. Helpline. Yes. Uh, <laughs> call centre's weird. Uh, for men, uh, young men who get depressed, because as I'm sure you know, young men are the major issue. Uh, the more, there are more numbers of young men who commit suicide and get depressed and whatever, and men often don't talk about it. So it's about that, right? Yeah. And, and I was the patron of that for seven years, of that, of that, as it was just starting out as a charity. And people would ask me every so often, why are you patron of Calm? Is that something that means a lot to you or whatever? And because I have an honesty gene, I would always say the same thing. I would say, well, sort of, but really what happened was on my first day of primary school, Jane, who was the person who was the co-chair of the charity or whatever, started charity out, she came up to me and said, would you like to be paid for this charity? And I thought, fuck, I'm going to be coming here every day for the next seven years. If I say no, I'm going to feel bad every day. Fuck yes, I got to do it. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, getting asked to do something oh. but on the hop is an nightmare. Oh, it's now. awful. David, yeah. and as someone who's honest, I don't think you... In many ways, you're the one person that probably won't need this, but we like to ask um, in every interview if you have any issue with your partner's approach to parenting that you've never had the guts to bring up, but as a kind of amnesty, knowing that they might hear this, <laughs> this would be a way to communicate. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, she, I think she's a, a absolutely brilliant parent. Uh, and but... <laughs> well, 
Well, when is a Catholic? One of the things about Catholics, which I've discovered, and I know a lot, like obviously Frank Skinner's a Catholic, I'm yeah. close to many of them, is that they have a, because I think because of original sin, that they have a, a total sense that the worst thing's going to happen. That, that like, yeah. something terrible's going to happen and they're going to yeah. be judged and sent to hell or whatever. And so basically our entire time parenting has been spent with me saying to Morwenna, I don't think they're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> I think they can go over there and probably a building isn't going to fall on their heads. I, I can't promise you, but all right if they just go over there for a bit. <laughs> he is wonderfully protective and concerned about the children all the time. But there is an element of, oh, you know, God will smite them down at any point, and I, I must do all I can to make that not happen, I would say. David, we've talked about the books, but before we go, I should say we, we didn't actually mention that his future friend is the new book, yeah. which is a time-travelling uh, book. Seven, uh, would you say nine to 13-year-olds? That's what it's been typed as. Well, yeah. Uh, actually, I think seven-year-old. I've got lots of seven-year-old readers. so Yeah, it depends. Yeah. Kind, of a, a kind of a seven-year-old, a thick 14-year-old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. It depends on your kid. Make a call. And I, I, I like to say it's for all the family. Yes, uh, of course. I, I don't, you know, I've got a million and a half a different ones to sell. <laughs> David, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. No, I really enjoyed it, lads. It's really, really enjoyable. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you so much. David Badil there, Josh Widdicombe. Absolutely love David Badil. You do, um, don't you? You've got. I love David Baddiel as well, but I feel like you really love David Baddiel. I, David and Frank are the reason I do comedy. Like I, oh, I used to watch a... those fantasy football videos so much that like the video tape would warp and it would like yeah. sound. The cheering would sound wrong, or, or they're yeah. having a bad gig. You can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might be one of the live ones early days. Now that was I loved Baddiel and Skinner Unplanned as well. Yeah. That, was, I, that was I actually preferred that to because I'm a little bit younger than you. Yeah. I don't want to bring that up. No. But those unplanned ones on ITV, I used to watch them all the time. I loved it. They used to get someone in from the audience and write out what happened. Yeah, so good. So good. Anyway, great, great uh, podcast. Well, he's really, it's so good to have people so honest. And that, I think David Dewey is one of the most honest people in comedy, like say it, tell yeah. it as it is. I, I'd love to be like that. Oh, I, or would it be a nightmare? <laughs> I don't <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, you're you're fairly an open book, though. You talk about a lot of stuff, don't you? I don't know, Rob. There's a lot go. There's a lot of dark stuff going on there. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's hard to know, isn't it? Because I think you know, it's really interesting because we're so uh, at a similar stage as he was, really, with like young kids and working a lot and on the telly and stuff. And he's, you know, David's still on the telly loads, but he sort of picks and chooses. Now he writes a book. He'll appear on Last Leg, but he won't really dedicate like a full like six months of series yeah, of stuff yeah, yeah. i find he's a bit more pick you can pick and choose what he does and i think you know it's hard to know now and i feel like i'm in the same boat and i'm sure a lot of the listeners because i know sometimes it gets a bit comedy comedy but that's inevitable because we were three comedians yeah. talking but there's no difference to how we feel than someone else our age of young kids that are working at for a bank or they're working at estate agents or they're, they're you know they're running a building site or that all the little jobs they've got with those pressures and totally. going right do i hammer it now so that their future's sorted or do I ease off? It's, it's about finding that balance. It is weird because you go, oh, I can really ease off in my 50s. And you go, yeah, but then I'll have missed the best bit. Yeah, exactly. My children will have gone when I'm in my 50s. Like, you want to experience it now. Do you know what I yeah. mean? You want to... But then I say anyway, that... Anyway, the thing I'm saying, Rob, is uh, that's that's me done on the last <laughs> item. <laughs> <laughs>
But the thing is, though, Josh, I say that, but then literally an hour ago, I was like, just go to fucking bed. Fuck off. <laughs> fucking little arseholes. You was up at six, screaming at my name. I told you to be quiet. And then I had these chats, and I'm like, oh, yeah, man, it'd be so good. I've just got to really save this moment. But then like, an hour ago, I was like, fucking hell, I can't deal with it anymore. So, like, you can't lie to yourself about it. Like, no. But, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's just a, it's a tricky balance. And hopefully through this, it'd be ironic, though, if, like, when we get older and our kids go, yeah, I think you spent too much time doing that parenting podcast rather than parenting. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll be able to add up all the hours because yeah. it'll, it'll all be listed. Well, we have done 60, like 60 hours in six months. Yeah. <laughs> but um, anyway, we're trying our best. Um, if you're listening to this, kids, I'm yeah, trying my best. best. I don't know what I'm doing, but, you know, I think I'm doing all right. I, I think it'd be amazing. I'm not saying my children would never listen to this podcast, but... To have listened to it so thoroughly that they're listening to the outro to David Baddiel <laughs> is quite. <laughs> the year is the year is thirty twenty two. They're reading Future Kid as of now and going, it's not like this, is it? Um, thank you to David. Uh, all his books, one point five million of them, are available <laughs> oh, in good. all yeah, good bookshops. Um, we will be back on. Tuesday, yeah, because it's the new way, isn't it? It's this the was new Friday. Way. This, so we'll... this was a Friday app. I'm just so confused yeah. about when we're doing stuff now. But um, should we uh, speak to everyone on Tuesday? Tuesday. Tuesday. See you then. Bye. Bye.